0: James Corbett, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit down and have a chat with me.
1: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate uh, the invitation.
0: So to start off the conversation, James, I thought I would tell just a a quick anecdote that will help frame the conversation about why... you Know why? Why did I invite a quote unquote permaculture or sorry, a conspiracy theorist onto a podcast about building your permaculture property, you know, homesteading and stuff like that? What does this have to do with it? And so, this is actually a story uh, about Bill Mollison, who's one of the founders of, of permaculture, and um, it's from his autobiography. So, Bill was a guy who was incredibly resourceful. He was probably one of the best, like you know, homesteaders, preppers in the world, and he saw kind of how broken the world was, and he just said, "You know what? To hell with it!" And he, he basically got some tools together, went off in the bush, bought a piece of land, he built himself his own house. He had, you know, he he had paradise. He he was, he was off grid. He was done, and 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 apparently on the day that he kind of finished everything, his gardens were planted. You know, he was he was self-sufficient in terms of food, energy. Uh, you know, water, all that stuff, he was, he was done. And that night he had a dream that the forest around him burned to the ground and his house with him. And the next day he got up, went back to the cities and started educating people because he realized that there was nowhere he could go where the fire of the, you know, the problems in the world couldn't reach him. And, and so my hope for this conversation that, that we're gonna be having over the next hour is, uh, I'd like to just in, introduce briefly what that fire is um, and how, how severe it is. Because from my experience working within the space of kind of permaculture and homesteading and regenerative agriculture, is that most people don't realize how bad this fire is. Um, but, but before we get into that conversation, um, I was curious, do you have a kind of personal story yourself about when you kind of, you know, realized how, how bad the fire is? Like, was there a turning point in your life where you realized, you know what, I'm going to devote the rest of my life to, you know, doing the work that you're doing right now with, with the corporate focusing on, you know, open source news and uh, intelligence news?
1: Well, it's a good question because I often when I talk about when I and how I came to found the website, I'll turn back to my time in 2006, I was an English teacher here in Japan, furthest thing from my mind that I would ever be doing a podcast or a website or any of this had absolutely no intention of any of that, going along minding my own business. And then I started to fall down the proverbial rabbit hole on information that at that time was related to 9-11 truth primarily was the first thing that I started to get interested in because it was a crazy, silly conspiracy theory that I had poo-pooed for the previous five years. But then I started to see certain things online that started to get me to start to look these things up for myself. And when I started that process, and finding, oh, well, actually, that really is a real government document I can go look up, or, oh, that that really is something that was reported in the newspaper here. And once you get into that process, I think anyone who has a critical thinking faculty and are is able to get, get through the conditioning, and the, the, they've been subjected to their whole lives that conspiracy theory is this icky thing, and, oh, you can't look into that because you'd be a conspiracy. Once you are able to get over that, I think, the rest seemed inevitable to me. And so very shortly I started the website. But in terms of personal, like how how did I understand this on a personal level? It It wasn't until actually after this fact that I reflected on one of the things that might have led me along towards being more receptive to that information in 2006 was something that happened to me in 2005. When I was, again, I was an English teacher here in Japan and I was going back to Canada for my friend's wedding, I was going to be a best, the best man at his wedding, and so I was doing my thing, just going to Canada. Um, I was going through customs. I'm a Canadian citizen, so got my Canadian passport. You know, this shouldn't be a big deal. Um, but as I was getting the, you know, the stamp on my uh, arrival card and all that, uh, the customs officer asked something about. Um, uh, what did he ask? Because something, something about like, why are you here? Uh, ultimately, I'm you know, like. Well, this is a stupid question. I'm a Canadian citizen. Why are you even asking me this? So I said, I just said something along the lines of, oh, I'm here for my friend's wedding. And oh yeah, to see the Calgary Flames win the Stanley Cup, ha ha ha. Which was a joke, intended to be a joke because we're in Vancouver at that point at the Vancouver airport. So I, you know, friendly Canadian rivalry. I'm home in Canada. I'll make a Canadian joke. The officer didn't find it that funny. Just sort of gave me a quizzical glance and then scribbled something on my form and sent me on to go get my bags. As I'm standing there waiting for my bags, uh, some someone comes up, uh, a, a woman in the whole you know SWAT team regalia. Sir, you're going to have to come this way once you get your bags. Oh, OK. So I go into the special screening room and get the special screening treatment, which um, didn't involve the rubber gloves or anything of that kind. But they did go through all of my bags, taking out my underwear and everything. And eventually it started to get to the point they took out a phone. Um, it was my new Japanese phone i just bought in Japan. And at that time, pre-smartphone obviously, it was, it was nifty and woo, it's got a color color photos and everything, woo, you know, like it's, it was very uh, newfangled. And so she's, she's like, can you turn this on for me? Can you show me the photographs? I'm like, uh, what? Oh, yeah here's a photo and I, there was only like three photos on there because it was a brand new phone she's like why are there only three photos I'm like, this is a brand new phone who's this it's my friend <laughs> like what what is this what what's happening and then she takes out my my journal my personal journal and starts flipping through it and reading it and like can we photo can we photocopy this and i said i don't know what are my rights here like i have no idea what's going on and it was so it was that experience, it was just such a crazy experience, and I had no idea what, what what my rights were, what I could or couldn't do. I'd never even really thought about that because, obviously, what happened in 9-11-2001 suddenly was coming home to roost here in Canada in 2005, where suddenly there's this police state thing going on that most people most of the time aren't going to encounter this as long as they don't make a silly joke to the customs officer but you make a silly joke and suddenly you see this whole other thing that's going on this apparatus for this police state that's being put in place and then a year later uh japan in response to what america was doing started the thing where you have to to give your digital fingerprints and iris scan or face scan or whatever every time you enter the country even if you're a permanent resident or whatever you have to do go through that as if you're a criminal and I remember being deeply, deeply disturbed by that when that happened. Um, now, I think people just take it for granted. Yeah, you give up your digital fingerprints, you get a face scan, and you get through. It's no problem. What's the big deal? But no, that really struck me at the time. Oh, this, this really is a police state that's going into place. And so I realized later on that uh, what I had not dismissed, but sort of thought of that, oh, that 9 11 thing that happened in New York, you know, those years ago. Is a real thing that affects my life today, and the way that I, the, the, even going home to Canada and things like that, and so I, I've understood this at a personal level for a long time. What you try to neglect, what you try to push to the side, is going to affect you at some point. It may take years, but it will come home to roost unless you deal with it and confront it head on.
0: Yeah, it's it's like that, like that fire. It's like there's there's nowhere left to run anymore. It's it's going to come for us, and and so <clears throat> now that you said like, like 2005 was kind of your, the, the first time you got singed a little bit by that fire and you've obviously spent uh, like when, I guess, when did you transition full time into, you know, doing the, the corporate report?
1: So I started the website in uh, June 1st, 2007 was when it was officially launched. Okay. Um, and I started going full time um, 2011 so it took about four years for me to build up enough of a viewer base to actually make yeah. that leap. And it was a precarious leap when I made it, um, but I made it. And for the last decade, I've been doing this full time now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've had, like I like said, a decade full time to, you know, basically investigate this, this fire that's, that's, that's burning, kind of consuming the world right now um, with, without having to um, uh, provide any evidence right now because your, web, your website is, is full of it um what would be your kind of hypothesis, hypothesis or like an elevator pitch to describe somebody in terms of like here here is how bad things are in the world uh with without having to provide you know all the the backup documents and stuff like that it's like what's your your working hypothesis
1: uh i could put it very succinctly if people wanted it in the nutshell and that would be uh, quoting george orwell Uh, from 1984, if you want a vision of the future, imagine a a boot stamping on the human face forever. That is it. That is it in a nutshell. The long-term agenda is to essentially to uh, create a neo-feudalist, technological neo-feudalist system where we will be serfs on the feudal plantation who will be allowed certain rights to the extent that we cooperate with the dictates of the unelected health authorities or other presumed would-be authorities depending on what gloss they put on that techno-fascist state that's it it's coming and if people i used to be very uh, very diplomatic about this and i understand different people are in different stages of understanding and they've been subjected to different kinds of conditioning and they may know this but they may not know that kind of thing so i've always been very careful and understanding there's there's going to be people at different stages and things. But at this point in 2021, if you do not understand the scope, the gravity of what is happening right now, as governments are locking people down in their own homes and basically saying until you take experimental medical interventions as human lab rats, we will not let you travel from point A to point B. If you do not understand how serious the situation is, I have no sympathy for you at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When, and I mean, it's one of the, the uh, kind of aphorisms within permaculture is the problem is the solution. And, uh, you know, in the same way, you know, when, when you had your kind of freedoms challenged in that, you know, the, in the airport, uh, I think a lot of people, at least I'm noticing this in my, in my community, a lot more people are waking up to the jackboot that's crushing down, has been crushing down on our faces, for, at least on other people's faces for a long time. And they're starting to ask, you know, the same questions that, that you and I have been asking. Um, and, um, and so this is fantastic. But th- the problem is, is that there are a lot of, to use a very cliche, tinfoil hat conspiracy people out there that, that are a complete distraction uh, away from, and maybe it's deliberate, I don't know. Um, but the thing that I love about your work, James, and, and I've been f- following it for um, I think probably six or seven years now is when I was when I really got into your work uh, and I went down a bunch of different other rabbit holes. But uh, you know, the, your motto for your um, for your website is is open source intelligence news. And so these are things that people can actually go look at the sources for. It's not you just coming up with some theory and then people having to take your word for it. And so I, I wanted to, um, just like, what, what was, um, what was your kind of ethos behind that? Uh, or was, was it a conscious thing? Was it just something that just made sense? Yeah. What, what was that process for, for coming up with that, um,
1: it was very conscious and very deliberate. And this happened because as I started getting into this information and I was looking at podcast, listening to podcasts, looking at websites, et cetera. And I found, and especially in 2006, seven ish, when I was first getting into this, people may or may not remember the internet back then. Um, It was a slightly different beast. And even for example, on you know new york times guardian whatever mainstream news sources you would almost never ever get links to actual documents from the articles themselves they would they would do what the mass media has been doing for the past century or centuries which is to tell you okay the government released this report yesterday and it says this and this person mm-hmm. says this about it and that person says that about it and that's it and no links to anything don't read anything for yourself we are telling you what this says and what it means. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being treated like a child. (laughs) I can read. I can come to my own determination about things. So I prefer... Especially, I get it. Back in the day, when you're just reading it in a newspaper, you know they're not going to publish the whole report, obviously. And you could go to whatever library, or you could purchase something at a bookstore or something. But they're going to summarize it for you. I get it. But hey, it's it's the 21st century. You can link to the actual report itself. And back in 2006, seven, that wasn't happening at all in the mainstream. And even in the independent media, it was pretty rare. I would be listening to a podcast, and they'd be talking about some document or some article or some something. And then I would have to go and look it up myself. And so that was something that was very important for me when I was coming up with my idea. I, I, again, I I'd never thought about starting a website or a podcast. But now that I was starting to think about it, I, well, what, what am I going to do? Clearly, yeah, it's the 21st century. I'm going to link to all the documents that I talk about. So if I talk about a document, I'm going to link it so that you can just go and click on it and go straight there. Um, that was always an ext- extremely important part of this. Um, it's the open source mentality. Um, here's the code that I'm using to build this software. In this case, here's my argument. And here's the the sources for that argument. Go look at it for, for yourself. I'm, I'm obviously like every other human being on the planet. I'm my own person with my own perspective, my own biases, my own blind spots, my own strengths and weaknesses. So I'm going to interpret it this way. And I'm going to put it together like this. But here's here's the recipe. You go into the kitchen and see what you can cook up. Using that same recipe, and that's the ethos for what I do. And I note now that 15 years later, it is becoming at, more common. It, you will likely get an actual link to the, doc, the, the the source document, even in a mainstream news article about some government report or something. They'll usually include a link now. But uh, it took a lot of work to even get that drilled into the populace that that should be an expectation for what's going on. Despite the fact it's never been easier in human history, we have such incredible troves of source documents now available at our fingertips that I still don't know if people really appreciate just what an incredible window of opportunity this is and a window that's closing as unfortunately we see more and more censorship taking place online and more and more um, information that used to be freely available becoming harder and harder to even search for, let alone actually look at as they start altering search algorithms and other things to suppress information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, we've we've kind of laid out your your path of of how you got into uh, you know d- discovering that you know there's a lot of problems in the world and that it you know you, you summarize it as is basically you know a jackboot on the face of humanity for forever. Um, what are the, and, and you spent the last decade and more researching, documenting, providing sources to, to, to show people, here's the jackboot, you know, here's whose face it's on right now it, and, and, and doing it a fantastic job. Um, and you've got this incredible website that is just filled with, you know, your life's work basically. Uh, my, my question is, what are the kind of top three, um, you know quote conspiracy theories that you feel are the the most well documented you know there's there's just like no way that you could you could you know kind of if basically if somebody was was to go to your website and you, you said there's three things i want you to research three topics what would you tell them to do if they were a newbie and they're just listening to something like this now
1: i i would first of all try to find out what that person is personally interested in because uh, there are no sort of magic magic bullets, as it were, for unlocking people's minds. Um, Everyone comes at it from a different approach. So if someone is intensely interested in health and food and environment, you can talk all you want about economics or something, but it'll probably go over their head. They don't care. So I would try to focus in on what people are interested in, but I could tell from my own perspective, something that I found interesting. As I say, 9-11 truth was the first sort of thing that I started looking for information and finding things and starting to go down that rabbit hole. But even after I had become fairly convinced, yeah, okay, clearly the government is lying about certain things, covering up certain things. Absolutely, the 9-11 commission report is not a uh, sacred document that's 100% true in all respects. Even after I'd gotten to that point, I still had trouble understanding sort of the, the scope of what was going on here and how does this really work and what's how does this function? The thing that really helped the penny to drop for me personally was when I started to discover the central banking fraud. And that question of where does money come from, yeah. which children ask and then adults always make the funny joke it grows on trees (laughs) and that's pretty much the extent of most people's understanding of the monetary system and how does money actually get created and fed into the system so for me when i started to find out about um about the federal reserve in the united states and then more broadly sort of central banking in different localities around the world and how that functions to uh, essentially direct the economy and thus entire societies um, by control of a very few people over the monetary spigot, once you start to understand that in uh, broader detail, I don't know, for for me personally, I don't know how anyone could look at that and not realize, oh, this this game is rigged at a very fundamental level. level." So that's why for me, the the first documentary, the feature-length documentary that I did was Century of Enslavement, the History of the Federal Reserve, where I went over the prehistory of central banking prior to the establishment of the Federal Reserve in 1913. I talked about its establishment in not a conspiracy theory, but an admitted conspiracy fact admitted by one of the conspirators himself in the Saturday Evening Post, something like uh, 15, 20 years later. And of course I linked to that article in the documentary as with everything else. Um, So you can go read it for yourself where one of the conspirators admitted, yes, me and, uh, of Harry, Van, Harry Vanderlip and uh, and uh, uh, I'm not gonna remember all the names, but you, again, you can look them all up. Uh, the, some of the biggest names in banking and in the, the banking committee in the Senate at that time got together in secret on Jekyll Island in 1910 in a secret meeting where even on the, uh, on, on the train trip out there, they wouldn't uh, allow, they, they, wouldn't t- uh, they wouldn't use each other's names. They would only use first names so that even the, the servants and other people wouldn't be able to tell who it was. It, yeah. it was utter secrecy surrounding this trip so that they could go to Jekyll Island and hammer out a central bank the plan for a central bank to essentially control the monetary supply of the United States in a banking cartel. So they came up with this plan. Um, It got forwarded to Congress and got struck down. No, we're not gonna do that. That sounds like something the bankers want. So then through this process of getting something essentially almost exactly identical forwarded by some some other members of Congress, then it gets passed as the Federal Reserve in 1913. And the rest, as they say, is history that was an admitted conspiracy that was undertaken by the banking establishment to form a cartel over the monetary supply of the united states that is 100 percent documented admitted history if you know where to look and if you if you bother to look at it uh, and yeah i think that's pretty significant if you are playing this rigged game with this rigged money that uh, you know, when you're playing Monopoly, who's the banker, you know, where I, I, it was funny, I was actually just playing the game of life with my eight year old boy recently. And uh, we were so we're playing this game with this, you know, funny paper money that's coming out of this bank. And he asked me, you know, where does the bank get its money? <laughs> said, that's a good question, son. I keep that question in mind for later in life, because I think that's, that's exactly the point. But yeah, if again, uh, that for me was a fundamental point of all of this. Another incredibly important point for me to understand the sort of bigger picture of what's going on. I know a lot of people have the problem. They cannot imagine that there are people who genuinely, truly um, think of other human beings as, as lower or lesser or less desirable so that they can inflict harms on them in ways that you and and me and most of the people listening to this conversation have no interest in controlling other people or telling them what to do or trying to limit them or trying to make them infertile or anything along those lines. That's ridiculous. Who would do that? And so another thing that was important for my understanding was understanding the philosophy, the, the ideology, the pseudoscience of eugenics, which um, I, I always take pains to to point out is just the latest in a long series of iterations of justifications for the ruling class. Yeah. There has always been some sort of justification given to the the peons, the peasants, the feudal serfs as to why there is the lord on the hill living in the castle while you're scrabbling to make ends meet um, for, uh, from the soil. Why is that? It's because we, we, we were appointed by God himself for, you know, th- there's always been that sort of justification, the divine right to rule, et cetera. Yeah. But in the modern age, we well, divine right to rule, and who's gonna fall for that? No, 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 no. Now there's a pseudo-scientific gloss to the reason why there are certain, certain families, certain people who are fit to rule over you and it was, uh, it was eugenics, which was this uh, idea that was developed by Francis Galton specifically at first, but really lit the world on fire scientifically a century and a half ago. It was everyone who was anyone was a eugenicist and uh, Teddy Roosevelt and everyone else at that time espoused eugenics as their guiding philosophy, which is essentially the idea that there are certain people who are fit to rule and to be Uh, rich and powerful because of their genes, Um, which is funny because even at the time of eugenics, when that, that phrase was coined, I mean, genetics itself was not understood. Uh, Mendel had done his peapod experiments but they hadn't been widely published even at that time so the, the actual me- mechanics of it still weren't even understood you know genes and heredity. It was kind of theoretical and they were just talking about protoplasm and good stock and things like this and so they said oh you know all these feeble-minded people are breeding too, too many people and we need more of the, the good kind to, to breed their sort and of course that very quickly Again, people will say, oh, eugenics is is about helping good people have good families, right? It's not like dysgenics, which is trying to get rid of those evil horrible, vile, poor people and feeble-minded people in whatever other categories we invent. But it's always one and the same. And that's why the eugenics craze of the early 20th century in the United States led very quickly to the involuntary sterilization laws that were passed in state after state after state. Not just the US, of course, uh, in my home and native land of Canada, uh, there was absolutely involuntary eugenic sterilization laws on the books. In Japan, where I live now, there were eugenic sterilization laws, some of them which lasted into the 1980s, even the 1990s, um, before they were finally struck off the record. Um, eugenics finally did get a sort of a black eye to its reputation after World War II, and, oh, the Nazis, and, well, we kind of don't want to be associated with that. Oh, by the way, all of the you know, Nazi eugenics programs were being funded by the Rockefeller family. Um, again, completely documented, not conspiracy theory. You can look that up. But um so it had to go underground, and it took different forms. but this the the fundamental ideology is still there. There are certain people who are fit to rule over other people. and once you once that penny really drops and you understand that there are people who genuinely think themselves superior to other people and thus justified in doing what they must in order to carry on the human species by which they mean asterisk my family and the families of the people I like, not you, you vile breeding poor people who are just teeming and overpopulating the earth, you start to understand, oh, there really is a depopulation agenda at work. And uh, again, I mean, again, that sounds outlandish to anyone who's never looked into it, but I have lots and lots of material on this on my website, again, completely documented. And so the place I would recommend people to start on trying to wrap their head around that is how and why big oil conquered the world another feature length documentary, uh, two part documentary that I did a few years ago. Um, Again, completely available for free, like everything else on my website that people can look at. The third thing, so that's one, central banking was very important for me to understand. Two, eugenics and the sort of the broader depopulation agenda was uh, another incredibly important part. Three, uh, I would say, in this day and age, given what's going on right now, I think it's very, very important to understand the medical martial law scenario that is playing out right now and what that means and where it is heading. So I, uh, I and again, I could, I could tell you about this in the context of 2020 and 2021 and what we've seen over the past year, but why not go back to what I had to say about this 13 years ago? Because you can go back to my original medical martial law podcast that I did in 2008, talking about all of the legislative steps that by that point had already been put in place to allow allow governments and presumed would-be health authorities to lock people in their homes and subject them to experimental vaccines and whatever else they wanted to do. I was talking about this and warning about this 13 years ago. And over the course of the past year, as people have started to discover my work, because, oh, there's something going on, maybe I should look into this. I have received a number of messages from people who said, you know, if I had seen your podcast 13 years ago talking about this, I would have thought you were just crazy loony, but okay, now I get it. And yeah, unfortunately, that's what a lot of this work is like. Yeah, you can see it coming, but try telling other people and they'll dismiss it immediately without uh, any investigation. But so in uh, understanding there has been a decades long sort of setup, bureaucratic setup of exactly what we're seeing playing out right now shows that there is a deeper agenda going on that regardless of whatever you think about COVID-19 and what it's doing and, and it, it's, its reality and it's, it's, its threat or whatever, regardless of what you think of that, the point is this has been the trigger for a lot of things that have been in place for decades now. It's been a trigger event for that. And the question is where it's going from here. And it is going towards transhumanism, uh, which I, I have no idea of the sort of general public understanding of this. This is an idea that's been around for a couple of decades, few decades now. It is really intimately related to the eugenics agenda. It's sort of the 21st century update to the eugenics agenda. But eventually, I mean, the idea is we are all going to upgrade ourselves and upload our consciousness to robot avatars or blah, 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 whatever crazy science fiction nonsense you can dream up is already being touted and thought about. And you can get glimpses of this even in the most utterly mainstream sources. I talked about an article last year, for example, that I believe was in the Wall Street Journal called Looking Forward to the End of Humanity, talking about transhumanism and how it it will ultimately be the savior for humanity as, you know, we're these icky biological flesh and blood beings going around with our icky germs everywhere. That's horrible. No, we're going to have to take more and more of these upgrades to become, you know, these silicon cyborg avatars or whatever. Again, sounds like nonsense until you see Klaus Schwab, the chief director of the World Economic Forum in 2016, talking about in the next decade, we will be walking around with brain chips. Um, because we are going to fuse our biological, physical, and uh, digital identities. Mm-hmm. And that is that is the key word that's going on right now. I- ID, identity, that is sort of the way that this is all merging. And you start to see vaccines merging with this idea of IDs, merging with the idea of social credit, merging with the idea of digital currency. And it is all coming together at the, the, the ultimate endpoint that all human activity will be allowed or disallowed at a central governmental level based on your compliance or non-compliance with various government diktats. Again, sounds outlandish. Wait a few years and see how outlandish that sounds. We are heading there. And the vaccine passport debate that is being thrust into the public consciousness right now is just the thin edge of that wedge.
0: Yeah uh absolutely those are those are definitely in in um in my my top five like the, the the one of the first one that i got got me into all this stuff was the 9-11 stuff because that one has also been really um you know widely documented and it's it um and it's also like it was a, it was a pivotal event at least in my life where like things changed after like i could i could tell it's like there was there was you know several wars that were started as a result of that you know the the you know all the, the loss of freedoms in, in being able to travel. And, and, um, and so it's, it's um, and also the, the other thing that I, I really like about the, the 9-11 is how, how universally it is touted by, by you know, all these other world governments as like the official narrative, even though it's so clearly ridiculous uh, in my mind, that's, that is one of the, the, a, a great piece of evidence of how, uh, how this this agenda really is a global um, movement? It's not just these isolated people kind of working. No, like there there is a, a concerted effort of of some group of people somewhere working to get that jackboot on our 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 necks to create basically a slave system.
1: Although I should interject, unless you know. Again, where to look, there have been certainly high profile dissenters towards that uh, official narrative, including the German, I think it was the former German defense minister coming out and saying, absolutely, this was the work of some intelligence agency that was not Al-Qaeda or the ex-Italian president saying something along those lines. Um, There were investigations into the insider trading, advanced knowledge trading that took place before 9-11 by Italy, by Germany, by Japan, um, several different countries, as well as of course the SEC there in the United States which ultimately stopped its investigation, not because they didn't find knowledge of advanced uh, trading, but because although they did find knowledge, uh, advanced trading that was going on, or evidence of that, they stopped the investigation because those people that they identified, including Wirt Walker, Wirt Walker III, who just happened to be, you know, related to George W. Bush, um, those people had no conceivable ties to al-Qaeda. And thus, they couldn't have been advanced <laughs> yeah, trading yeah. end of investigation. Uh, and then they destroyed the records of that. Yeah. Presumably the largest SEC investigation in history. They just destroyed them as part of routine record keeping. I mean, just that's just one tiny bit of yeah. that puzzle. but. Again, it just goes to show that, uh, yeah, it's, it's openly admitted in various places, and various high-ranking officials have dissented to that official story, but still, the official story is the only thing that ever gets talked about, and uh, anything else is dismissed as sheer lunacy yeah. by the uh, totally, 100%, always authoritative and right mainstream media that told you the hard-hitting truths about weapons of mass destruction and other such things. <laughs>
0: um c- coming back to your um your observation about how um you know it's basically hindsight's 2020 and how you know your your uh, podcast about medical martial law is like a lot of people now it's like I, if i if i would have watched that you know t- you know uh, 13 years ago when it first came out i just wouldn't have paid any attention to it but now watching it today you can kind of see it all and one of the one of the um kind of arguments that i give to a lot of people is is taking uh, you know certain forms of tyranny that are widely established you know like you know, communist China, like Russia, like North Korea, you know, like the, the Nazi regimes in Italy, these are things that, that like where, where governments passed re- in, in insanely draconian laws. They did terrible things. They murdered people, but it was all done under the guise of, you know, for the greater good or, or whatever. And so like the, my, my kind of rule of or, uh, logic is, okay, the, the there, there have been people throughout history, you know, Genghis Khan, Caesar, um, you know, Bonaparte, all these people that their goal was to take over the world. And, 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 and even in our own, you know, uh, you know in the 1940s, Hitler was, his goal was to take over the world for, you know, for the, for the third Reich. And so the, the, the motive has always been there to have this kind of power. Um, and, but now like today it's like, and, and everybody agrees on that, but, well nobody nobody does that anymore there's there's no desire for um for a certain it's like it's just absolutely ridiculous that you could you could think that throughout all of history there has been this goal of creating this this global tyranny system and yet in today's day and age with the tools to actually do it for the first time ever that that desire has just gone away from certain people in humanity
1: And, and part of the problem with that is that the public imagination has been hobbled Um, by false templates that we've been given. And one of those false templates is the the sort of great man view of history. Um, Exactly as you say, we can identify the Caesars and the Bonapartes and and, uh, Alexander the Great and other people that we can look at and say yes, that was some kind of, you know, conqueror who was looking to take over the world. But, it's harder to understand and and sort of visualize an oligarchy and how an oligarchy works yeah. that it isn't a singular person as if as if i think bill gates is you know trying to run the world for himself or something along those lines that's comic book supervillain nonsense yeah. that no serious person is suggesting what what is being suggested is that there are extremely wealthy and extremely powerful people who are sitting in key positions, institutional positions in various places around the world, who cooperate on certain agendas because it is within their interests to cooperate. Perhaps the only sort of public consciousness template that we have for that is something like the mafia. I mean, people have, have the understanding, okay, there's a mafia and sometimes this mob is killing off that mob and trying to take over the territory of that mob. But if someone comes in and tries to threaten the mob, generally, well, then they're gonna gang together and go after that threat. And I think that might be a, a, at least one way of trying to understand what's going on right now. Of course, there are different power factions that are doing different things and sometimes stabbing each other in the back, et cetera. But if there was anyone going to come along and try to derail the overall agenda, you would see everyone come together and defend it, like like the 9-11 officials narrative. Uh, Someone's gonna attack that, the entire establishment comes together and defends that narrative because they understand that their their bread is buttered on the side of certain things that have to be understood and believed by the public. So um, we start to see cooperation and certain areas where agendas overlap and that's where things tend to happen. And that's a lot harder to understand that's a lot harder to wrap your mind around that's a lot harder to visualize we don't have a lot of you know glossy hollywood movies about oligarchs we have <laughs> glossy hollywood movies about the supervillain who's controlling yeah. everything and that's a lot easier to understand but unfortunately does not provide an accurate map of what's happening in the world
0: yeah that's that's a great um analogy there so the um the, the i've watched i mean pretty much every uh, f- for sure, every single kind of uh, uh, content or um, uh, you know, broad theme of a conspiracy theory going from like the food system to the energy systems to, you know, social systems, to government, to economy. Um and, and I, I really like your um you know I asked you the question of what are the three kind of you know uh conspiracies that people should start with. And you said, well, it depends what they're interested in. And you have something for everybody, and so I highly encourage people to go to um corporatereport.com and, and you've got great search functions, you'll find something there that's interested, and you just kind of start following down that thread. But one of the uh, one of the I think the only pill that 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 you gave out that I had a really hard time swallowing was your uh, documentary. I believe it was called um, Meet Paul Ehrlich. Um, and and so this and and so the reason I'm mentioning this is that, is that I know that a lot of other people, particularly in kind of the the permaculture regenerative agriculture, you know homesteading space. Um, uh, are, are in this probably, I mean, the same boat as me in, in this idea that, you know, the planet is dying, you know, uh, you know, global warming, you know, th- there's going to be, you know, mass, um, uh, you know, um, population booms that are like, that are going to kill us off or whatever. There's, there's, there's resources that are, we're going to run out of coal or iron or copper, or whatever it is. Um, and, um, and, but, so, yeah, I'd, I'd just like you to, to, to talk a bit about kind of who Paul Ehrlich is um, and maybe set the segue for, for why somebody should go, should go uh, and do some further research on why we aren't actually, you know, killing the planet and that humans aren't this, this scourge that, we, that the planet would be better off if we uh, just went somewhere else.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up, actually, because uh, when I first started getting into this and started the website, for me personally, one thing that was very hard for me to, to sort of get over that mental barrier, um, once you start to look into 9-11 and central banking and all this stuff and you start to discover all this information and breaking down all those mental barriers that have been erected by people saying, don't go into that, that's conspiracy theory. One of the hardest and last for me to really confront was the lies that have been told specifically in the environmental space and how the environmental movement as we have understood it over the past 50 years has been shaped by the very eugenicists who a century ago were literally forcibly sterilizing people that they deemed to be unfit um, because we don't want them breeding. And suddenly, when you start to document the actual documentable process of how eugenics became population control, how literally the American Eugenics Society changed the name on the door from American Eugenics Society to Population Council Mm -hmm. under John D. Rockefeller III, the exact same funding that was funding the eugenics movement, funding the population. Once you start to document all those sorts of things, it starts to make you question, what is really going on here? So that was one of the, the mental barriers that I... I myself had to scale over, and when I started the website, I was convinced at that time, talking about 9-11 truth and things was gonna be extremely controversial. I was gonna get a lot of pushback on it. I was prepared for that. It didn't really come. It turns out a lot of people at the time were receptive or at the very least not really combative about that information or not so much as I thought. But the one thing that people always to this day continue to push back on is when I dare to suggest that maybe overpopulation isn't the vile scourge that you have been programmed to believe that it is. And I am here to tell you, if you are part of that, that public today who genuinely believes that humanity is a cancer on the earth, we're like a virus, there's too many people, we gotta get rid of a bunch of them. I am telling you, you have been programmed to believe that and you are not basing that on empirical evidence. In fact, we are facing demographic winter. There is going to be a substantial decline. There is already a substantial decline in birth rates. And of course, because it's a wave, it goes up and we are still cresting. But once we get over that crest, we're going to see plummeting population rates all around the world. It is already happening here in Japan where the population is now shrinking. And in fact, more adult diapers are being sold every year than child diapers. We've reached that part of the, uh, the demographic crunch that is coming. Anyway, all of this is to say, you have been lied to. You have been specifically programmed to believe in the population crisis precisely because the people whose entire agenda rests on depopulating the human species and making it a more controllable pliable cattle that can be more effectively ranched by the global plantation owners, uh, the the people who are interested in that would have all sorts of pushback if we were a normal species that actually cared about itself and wanted to perpetuate itself into the future. If you can make people, uh, however, believe that they themselves are a scourge and, and people need to die, you have already Bought into the depopulation agenda. Now you are on the side of the depopulation agenda. They don't have to, to work as hard as they would otherwise. So I'm telling you, you have been programmed for that. Now, as as with everything, I say, don't believe me. Don't just say, oh, well, he's telling me. Well, I better believe him. No, 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 no. Please do not. You have to look into this and look into the documented evidence for this and I'll suggest a few things for people who are curious about this because I have a lot but here's a few places you can start. As you say one of them would be meet Paul Ehrlich, pseudoscience charlatan which was uh, a piece that I put out a couple of years ago now um, about Paul Ehrlich who people will probably know I assume in your audience people will know Paul Ehrlich most famous for the population bomb which he wrote I believe in 1968 um, which set off part of the, the craze about overpopulation as the, the coming plague on humanity, or, you know, we're all gonna be dying. Um, he made a lot of very specific predictions uh, in that time frame and going on from there about what was going to happen, what, what it was going to look like in the 70s, in the 80s, by the year 2000 in UK, it's gonna be this. Every single one of those predictions has not just been wrong, but been laughably, horribly, unbelievably are wrong, 100% totally just nonsense, but he is not only given a pass on that, he is literally a w- rewarded and given praise and lauded as one of the greatest scientists of our era. Why is that? It is because there, again, there is an entire institutional establishment framework behind this idea that humans are a plague on the planet. Once you have understood and digested meet Paul Ehrlich pseudoscience charlatan talking not only about the of course the overpopulation hype and the demographic crunch reality but also the real solution to population problems which is uh presented by uh Julian Simon and his work on the ultimate resource I'll just leave that out there I I really suggest people check into that because that is the ultimate answer to this but once you've digested that I would also suggest you take a look at um, a piece that I did last year on Mouse Utopia and the Blackest Pill, going through how we have been programmed to truly desire our own species' death. And that is not, again, that is not a natural state for any being. Uh, We had to have been programmed to believe that. And I go through and talk about the history of that idea and how it came to be and the types of people that are behind pushing it. Um, The third thing that I'd like to recommend people is uh, a a questions for Corbett. I do a series where I answer uh, listener and viewer questions. I did one recently on how can a global conspiracy work, and um, in that I specifically talk about that depopulation agenda and the people who have been writing about it openly. This is not a secret, this is not some sort of, let's hide it under the covers. People who have been writing about this, talking about it, openly publishing about it for at least a century now, documentably talking about the various ways the human population can be controlled, and it is interesting that 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 is the epithet that is used, population control, because I think it is about control in every sense of that term, not just limiting the numbers of the population, but also controlling the population. Neo serfs on the neo feudal techno plantation. That is the the agenda, and that's where we're being steered. So. I will, um, again, there's a lot to digest there. And there are a lot of source documents that I can and do provide. So again, do not take my word for it. But I will also parenthetically note that I found it extremely interesting, chilling, and horrifying, and very sad, but interesting that uh, somewhere in perhaps June or July of last year, I was doing some research for um, some work that I was doing about the corona crisis. And I came across something uh, I, I, it was in a mainstream news source, maybe something like the Daily Mail or the Telegraph or something like that, but it was from uh, 2018 or 19, where there was a report at that time about how, because uh, humans are traveling further and faster and blah, 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 there's going to be more um, spreading infectious diseases and where we can expect more pandemics in the future or something along those lines. And in the comments section of that, article from a few years ago there were people saying yes good you know I hope people die and we have too many people anyway we could do with a good pandemic or two yeah and I, I I how do I know but I can guarantee you guarantee you that the very same people who were leaving those comments in that article a couple of years ago yeah let's kill off some people yeah are the exact same people are now saying if you don't wear a mask and take this experimental medical intervention then you're killing grandma and you should be a murderer you you should be put on trial for murder those are the same people who will go with whatever they are being told in the moment they are being told it even if it directly contradicts what they were saying a few years ago that to me is disgusting but that is the power of propaganda and until You can actually see that propaganda at work and realize you have been programmed your entire life to believe something that empirically speaking is not true Mm -hmm. until you see that for yourself i don't know how you can overcome that programming
0: yeah and and that's where the reason i I brought up this this kind of meet paul herlock documentary and this this um kind of the vision for humanity now is to basically kill itself like that's um and but it's it is it is so pervasive within the the environmentalist movement and and, in permaculture and uh and it was particularly hard for me to to get over and i really had to to dive deep into the source documents that you provided before i could you know actually come out of it like you you know what I, i i i got hoodwinked on this one and it and it was a long time but the 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 thing i i wanted to um I couldn't find this in any of the the, the documents that, that you provided or any of the your um, your conversations around this particular topic. but uh, you, you're not saying that there isn't problems with pollution or that there aren't, you know def- some de- deforestation problems or uh, you know certain things that we could do better. You're not saying that you know everything is rosy and, and industrialism is just um, you know, pr- perfectly fine. Uh, or, like, the, there aren't problems with industrial agriculture and GMOs and things like that. The, the um, you're and I don't, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but like, y- yeah, how do you uh, how do you kind of um account for some of the, the other seemingly you know damning uh evidence of you know the like I, I, being on a farm and, and being involved in agriculture? Like, there are massive ecological problems just in my own community that in, in my family's lifetime of being here we have we have destroyed the the, the local ecology in our area. Um, yeah, I just want, I wanted to get you to kind of speak a bit about that in terms of what you're saying and what you're not saying.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you bring that up because I find it fascinating that not only you, but I, I hear this from a lot of people. What are you saying, James? Are you saying there's no environmental problems? <laughs> Which is, I mean, uh, uh, I, I can just say uh, categorically, no, I am not saying that because you can look at my other work where I document the yeah. real and fundamental environmental catastrophes that are emerging right now, including the ongoing open air experiment with the genome of the planet itself with all of the genetic genetically modified organisms that are now being used and cultivated and inserted into the food supply, often without the knowledge of the people who are consuming them. Um, I've been talking about that since the conce- inception of the website. I've been talking about real environmental problems that are going on, but because we have been trained like seals to simply clap an arf on command whenever we hear environment is carbon dioxide. And it's because you are breathing out and you are driving to the store in your Jeep or whatever. And because you are using too many plastic straws, that's why the environment is going to hell. Whereas the biggest polluters on the planet, not just the major corporations that are literally dumping toxic substances into the water supply, etc. Oh, and by the way, calling it, medicine, look into the sodium fluoride and how that ended up in the water. Oh, this isn't medical grade sodium fluoride. Oh no, this is fertilizer industry waste that has been inserted into the water supply because instead of having to pay to dispose of this tech uh, industrial waste, and now we can put it in your water supply and get paid for it by the municipality. Hey, win-win for everyone. And uh, oh, what's that about study after study about lowered IQ, uh, who cares? Um, Again, just another thing that will be dismissed as conspiracy theory because I saw in that Kubrick movie where that guy with a crazy guy was making fun of fluoride in the water so I'm going to just parrot that (laughs) without looking into any of it myself. But anyway, um, having said that no I've talked about incredibly important environmental problems throughout the entirety of my work but because I do not say I do not bow down at the uh, the propaganda that is being thrust into our face, that it is you, you personally, you are the problem and you have to stop having children and you have to, st- you have to live like a, a peasant on this neo-feudal plantation while your overlords fly around the world to their conferences talking about how you need to stop doing these sorts of things. And anyone who doesn't see the the stratification of society and what that says about the power that is being wielded to make you, again, you believe you personally are the problem, not the corporations and certainly not the military, which, by the way, is categorically the largest polluter on the planet. Never, ever, ever question that. You never even get to enter that into the conversation talking about destruction of the environment. No, 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 no. The only thing you're allowed to talk about is what you personally, the ways you should be limiting your lifestyle um, is propaganda, 1,000%. It has been trained, again, and the population just arfs on command. And if I don't bow down to those particular platitudes, then I, you don't even care about the environment, whereas Time and time again, I've talked about the real environmental problems that are going on, but people can't see them because yeah. they've been trained to only see certain problems in certain ways.
0: Yeah. And, and this is the the danger of, of not being able to think about these things in, in a nuanced way is that, you know, as soon as somebody finds one thing that they don't, you know, agree with you on, they'll, they'll, they'll throw out the baby with the bathwater and... Um, and, and, and not take the time to actually get to understand what you're actually saying. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that um, you, could, uh, you could clarify that. And, and I, I, I watching all the other things, that was what I assumed, but I'd never heard you explicitly say um, within relation to this idea that you know, humans, like, humans have done some really shitty things on the planet, but, it, but we've also done some amazing things. And, and within the permaculture space, uh, in regenerative agriculture, like people are bioremediating, you know, nuclear waste with mushrooms and we're, we're cleaning up, you know, glyphosate that's in the groundwater. Like we, we can solve all these problems. There's, there's, you know, the, uh, the book you, um, you mentioned um, the, the greatest resource, right? Who's that by? It was Simon. The ultimate resource. The ultimate resource. Um, absolutely. It, it is, you know, it is the human brain and, and what we can come up with. Um, <clears throat> until... Absolutely.
1: Again, anyone who is involved in the permaculture space should know this, yes. the incredible things that humans are capable of doing when interacting with and responding to the environment, working with the environment. We, can, we could have such abundance on this planet. Yeah. It is not the humans that are the problem. It is certain people with certain agendas for control who are, of course, trying to suppress the natural abundance of the world. So the answer to this is not simply to get rid of humans. Oh, good, I'm glad people are dying. And anyone who says that the problem is overpopulation, and I hope a bunch of people die, who is not uh, 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 immediately thereafter going to kill themselves, is a hypocrite, and I do not take them seriously. Exactly. And I say that, saying, "I do not want you to kill yourself. I certainly hope you don't. But yeah. you are walking, talking, performative contradictions. If you think the greatest scourge to the world is humanity, and we are all gotta die, you first, buddy."
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, James, in in closing, um, I'd I'd like to get your thoughts on um, on on where, uh, what are the you're doing this new segment on your show called Solutions Watch, which I absolutely love. And, um, and, and your, your reasons for doing it is, it, I also love is like, you've, 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 you've told people, look, there's the fire. There's how big it is. Here's the people who, who have definitely contributed in, 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 piling wood onto the fire. Um, that stuff is it's done. Like if, if you, if you, if you can't watch all the, uh, you know, look through all the sources that you have provided and realize that, that this problem is here, there's nothing we can do and so my the final question for you is um for for those of us who have we we recognize that this is the real nature of the fire this is how big it is it it is the end goal is you know uh basically slavery and um what are the um uh, i don't know what are like the the top three things that people can do or or like or what can you lay out some kind of a road map where it's like if, if we reach tipping point Tomorrow where a, cert- a certain amount of the population got this, what are the critical things that people within, say, the permaculture space um, need to start doing uh, in a, in a proactive way so that we don't make the same mistakes that we've done in the past. You know, the guess who song, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. Well, yes, just to underline and stress what you're saying there, I do have a Solutions Watch series where every week now I'm going through different aspects of what we can actually do to materially improve our lives and improve the, the our, our our space in the world, what we are doing in the world, rather than simply focusing on the problem. Because if all you do is focus on the problem, you're not going to steer yourself out of the problem. You're just going to make it worse. So, yeah, I'm very much interested in what we can do about this at this point. And... um Uh, Sorry, I just derailed myself. What was the the question, the specific (laughs) question? I guess- Oh, the the, top things. Okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think it's important to understand the very nature of the problem, the very nature of the threat that we are facing so that we can adequately confront and combat that. And so everything that is being done right now is a process of centralization, centralization of power, centralization of control, centralization of access to and dissemination of information, centralization in the hands of fewer and fewer people who will become your gods, essentially, your unelected overlords, whether they be the self-pronounced would-be health authorities or whatever else, who will be able to come in and dictate to you, you must take this medical intervention, you must not collect rainwater uh, or whatever other ridiculous decrees that have been made in various municipalities and states. Um, You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Um, It is always presuming to come from central authorities who claim to be able to dictate over wider and wider swaths of the globe. And of course, that is the process of globalization that will inevitably lead to global government, whether by um, whether in a centralized organization or whether in some sort of regional system or whatever whatever form that takes. At any rate, that is the impetus behind globalization. I think we have to understand that if the problem is centralization, the key is decentralization and distribution of wealth, of resources, of knowledge, of, of everything that we can to decentralize as much as possible to stop grouping our eggs in larger and larger baskets that suddenly can be taken away or destroyed or whatever. No, we have to be able to to decentralize as much as possible. And that is one of the interesting things about the technology, which is now available to centralize so much of our understanding, our knowledge, our our wealth, our everything, the technology that is enabling that is the self-same technology that could be consciously used to decentralize on a scale never before possible. I find it interesting that, for example, several hundred years ago, you had the literal cottage industries of people working separately in their little hamlets and villages. You'd have the local seamstress and the local whatever um, that eventually, because of the mechanization of the industrial era, becomes a very centralized system of industrial era production and consumption that requires people to live in concentrated urban spaces and large factories, produce mass-producing Gidgets and Gugads that most people don't exactly need, but, well, it's the only thing that's being mass-produced, so I'll buy it at the Walmart or whatever. This insane system of production and consumption that only makes sense logically because of the technology that came together to put people in these urban industrial workforce situations can now once again disintermediate and become the literal cottage industries where you could have people working in their local area as a designer selling to people all around the globe um, electronically or whatever else physically or what have you. That, that, that idea is at least possible now if we are intentionally and consciously working to facilitate it, bring it about, make it happen. Now, of course, again, whenever I say talk about this vision, people always come back, well, the government's just going to clamp down on that and not make it possible. Well, at any rate, let it happen. Let them come in and step in and be tyrants and try to stop humanity from interacting in the most natural way. I want to interact with people around me, and who's going to come in and say that I can't do that? You? Why? And until we have that fundamental discussion and debate, we're just dancing around the, the edges. So I want to, I want to bring that out, and that—that's why I think I'm, I'm totally on board with what the permaculture uh, people are doing. And uh, I may, I may have different ideas about this or that, or historical events or philosophies or what have you. But just keep doing what you're doing. Like I don't care. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep decentralizing. Keep finding ways to make your space, the space that you want it to be, and to interact with others who are doing the same and forming communities that way, communities of interest, of like-minded people who are not interested in trying to change the world at the institutional level in that rigged game that has been put out, dangled in front of the public as the only way to order society. No, 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 no. We are human beings who can interact with each other at a more fundamental level. And that means, I'm sure, again, I would assume most people listening to this conversation already know this, but this means finding Creating the community that you want to live in. And that, of course, starts at the local level, knowing your farmers markets and knowing your local farmers and ranchers and other people that you can interact with directly, rather than going through the mass market and supermarket system and all of this a system of centralized control. No, knowing people in your community that you can interact with, that you can find and source the resources that you need to create what you want. And then ultimately branching out from there and finding communities of interest larger on a larger scale um, that you can interact with and finding ways to have some sort of meaningful interaction with them across distances. Um, and, and again, yes, they're going to try to crack down on this, but that's kind of the point. And when enough people are doing this and reflecting this in their lives, there is going to be a tipping point at which things will change because they, can't, they still cannot control billions of people en masse until the you know genetic modification technologies and whatever other crazy nonsense they're working on, the transhuman upgrades and all of that, until they're in place, there still is a human spirit and humans will continue to survive and to thrive as long as they are given the space to do so. And uh, that's what I'm about, carving out that space. So it's about community level interaction first and foremost, and then it's about branching out from there. But uh, I'm looking at all aspects of solutions that will help people accomplish that. I'm not trying to prejudge it or limit my scope of investigation on that subject. So I hope people will at the very least join me for that I, once again every week on Solutions Watch.
0: Yeah, and it, it is a fantastic segment. To be honest, I'd actually, I'd stopped watching a lot of your content because I got the message. You know, it's like, yeah, there's a fire over there. But then when you started putting up these solution watch, now I'm, I'm watching every week when you're putting I'm just loving it. So again, with everything else that you've done, James, um, you, you have truly changed my life. You're one of the few people that I can honestly say, like, like, if, if I had not come across your work um, I, I would not be in the position that I am today. And so I, I personally want to thank you so much for the work that you've done. I know it's, it's probably not the it isn't the easiest job in the world um but i know by your you know the the you know hundreds of thousands of, of of people that watch your videos every week um that uh you are making a massive impact and and helping to free that that humanity from the jackboot that is is ever crushing down so
1: I appreciate that so much. That is what this is about. That is why I am doing this. And that speaks not to to me. That speaks to the power of the information, which I know is incredibly powerful information. It has changed my life. It has changed the lives of many of the people that I have talked to and interacted with. It is going to change more and more people's lives as we plunge further and further into this agenda. I just hope that they'll make that mental leap now rather than later, because if you wait... Then the fire will engulf you.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the time. I guess the, the last thing I want to point out, folks, is notice how both James and I were not depressed about this. We're, we're, we're hopeful. Like, th- th- there, is, there is, we have nothing to fear except, uh, you know, the only power that these, these tyrants have is that which we give them. Um, and, and so there are real solutions. So don't, don't get overwhelmed by this stuff. The, the, the tendency, when you start to go down some of these rabbit holes is to feel like you're drowning. I went through a major depression when I, uh, when I started to go through this stuff. Um, you're, you're not alone. There are solutions. Um, and, and there, there's a, a future that is, is more amazing than you could possibly imagine.
1: This is the best way I have found to frame this for people who don't understand I often talk about propaganda and the way that people are trying to be conditioned into understanding this or believing this or thinking this or doing this or not doing this or not thinking that. There's an incredible amount of propaganda that is put in people's faces every day. But that in itself speaks to our power. If what we did and what we think and what we, what we say and what we believe was not important, they would not spend so much time trying to control the discourse and trying to control what we are thinking and doing. We have all the power in this system and we give it over to the would-be controllers of society every time we participate in their systems of control every time that we are giving ourselves voluntarily our money our time our attention our energy to them and what they are doing to us the they them those of conspiracy lore they they win that is It And if you want the image of control, uh, uh, you know, the pyramid is the the classical example of the conspiracy image, you know, the pyramid with the eye on top. Why is that on the dollar bill? I don't think about that. (laughs) But if you want to understand that image, it's because there are millions, billions of people holding up that pyramid so that the eye can be on top and controlling everything. All we have to do is walk away. Leave their systems of control, build our own flourishing communities, and we can change the world. It can happen. We just have to consciously make that decision.
0: Fantastic. All right, folks, take care. We'll talk to you next time.